HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. In each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping to shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, George Hajar, Associate Editor at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Dwight Richmond, Director of Center Store at Town & Country Markets and recent Leadership Award winner for Outstanding Buyer. Dwight has decades of experience in the industry, working with retailers including Whole Foods, The Fresh Market, Earth Fair, Cahey, Dean and DeLuca, and more. He has helped around 200 companies achieve their dreams, including Lotus Foods, Lily Sweet, Beyond Good, and Siete Family Foods. Welcome. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be on the show. Perfect. So let's dive right into it. What made you interested in becoming a retail buyer? Well, it is an interesting story. Uh, my family actually comes from a line of grocers. And um, when I was young, I was pursuing a career uh, outside of grocery, and I was a little depressed. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother actually reminded me of my heritage. <laughs> and uh, she said that there was no shame in helping people um, in the grocery industry because you could help people be discovered and you could help cut people discover. And my grandmother is really my encouragement that made me feel good about my career choice. And I just kind of dove head in after that and pursued it with all my heart. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's so amazing. Can you talk about the the ways that you feel um, you can help people be discovered? Um, what's that process like? So, you know, it's really um, understanding the spark mm -hmm. of, a, of a maker or a manufacturer and um, trying to tap into what makes them special. Um, I meet a lot of people who have great ideas, who um, struggle with their packaging or have really great packaging and struggle with the ideas and the content inside their food. And so it's really about, uh, I consider myself sort of open source, right? Um, is really being that open source of knowledge to, just to give my opinion. As I tell brands at the end of the day, I don't uh, write their checks. I don't raise their money. It's up to them. I just give them the, my opinions and I give them my, my thoughts on what will make them great. And, mm -hmm. I, and I always say to brands, I always say, if I'm giving you, giving you criticisms or I'm giving you ideas or critiques on things, it's because I like you and I want you to succeed. Mm -hmm. If I don't, you know, I'm going to be polite and, and just say, nice product and move <laughs> on. So mm -hmm. for me, it's really, you know... I, I really have a passion, especially to see small entrepreneurs with a great idea realize their end goals, their dreams, or whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. Okay, amazing. And um, so you mentioned the spark. Um, what other characteristics do you generally look for when you're deciding to take on either a brand or a product? Well, it really comes down to the product first, mm -hmm. right? Um, I really look at the ingredients very closely. I look for brands who are not willing to compromise and take shortcuts. Um, for example, here at the show, um, there was a line of curries that I came across and they were very authentic and they tasted very good. And my advice to them was, as you grow, people are going to ask you to compromise. They're going to make say, we'll make it more appealing to everybody. Well, what happens is, is then people become less interested in them because there's no authenticity in the mm -hmm. brand. And I said, be true to your brand, be true to your flavors and your recipes, right? Don't cut corners. Don't, you know, uh, a great example is when I look at a sauce, if it has ketchup as the second ingredient, I don't know how serious you are as a brand mm -hmm. when you do that. But if mm -hmm. you take the time to really make, make, your, make your products from scratch and create a craft around that story, that's the spark. That's the thing that I'm looking for, first and foremost, is what's in, what's in, the, what's in the jar, what's in the package. Mm -hmm. Is it special? Is it unique? Because specialty foods is, is what's special to the person that's buying it, mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, that's what makes it special mm -hmm. to them. It's not what we think at the end of the day. It's even not really what the maker thinks. It's what the customer, the end user mm -hmm. thinks, the mm -hmm. guest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to think of it. And um, especially with uh, looking at the label and um, making sure there's that... Um, individuality when you come when you come across these products um, yeah so um, I understand you support this idea of what a maker can do for a retailer as well as what a retailer can do for a maker right it sort of goes bo both ways the symbiotic relationship um, why do you feel collaboration is as important as it is to the business well it, it, we call it the win-win mm -hmm. you know kind of uh, philosophy right and um, it's important because I'm not going to be any good at my job mm -hmm. if the people that I support aren't any good at their job, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to work together because at the end of the day, again, we're working for the consumer, the guest that comes in the store and the door to discover something new, maybe something they didn't even know they wanted yet. Mm -hmm. But when they see the story, when they see the package or when they see the ingredients, they're compelled to want to buy it and pick it up and try it and take mm -hmm. it home and create their own special experience for their family or their friends, right? So for me, this idea of... Um, just being one leg on a stool doesn't really work for me. It's really, you know, we have to work together mm -hmm. to um, support each other. And that involves all aspects of, of the supply chain. And that involves all aspects of getting to the end user, which is the consumer, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more transparent we are with each other, retailer and vendor manufacturer, maker, the better we are at 
um, getting to the end to the end consumer, the guest, which is who we really want to all get to at the end, and and create that that difference for them, create that spark for them at the end of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that sort of transferring over of that spark of the creativity. It, it, yeah. Exactly. What happens sometimes is that one one side of it pulls harder than the other, and mm-hmm. then in the end, someone loses, and that's always the guest, right? Mm-hmm. If, if a retailer pulls too hard on the vendor, then the vendor can't support the way they want to support. If a, if a vendor's pulling too hard, they kind of forget the retailer and they forget the purpose of why, you know, we exist to get their products to their end user, their consumers, their fans, right? Yeah. So we have to work together to, to and, and be open and transparent and honest with each other with our goals and our objectives, be transparent on our data, you know, really share with them the, the create the win-win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, do you have any recent brands that you have helped bring to retail that you feel particularly passionate about? Um, I have several. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, there's a local brand I actually discovered at um, the specialty food show last year in Las Vegas here, mm-hmm. and it was interesting enough that um, she was in. She's in my hometown in Seattle, there, just north of one of my stores, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's a the brand Zinka and it's mm-hmm. a pupusa and she's downstairs exhibiting today mm-hmm. and um, I just you know I really connected with her as a brand you know good female young female owner uh, great product um, just trying to start her business start her journey right and uh, we spent the last year since this last year in the show getting her to the point where she could get into our stores and get to retail and you know I'm glad to say that but you know in the fall she launched in our stores and um, I believe the sky's the limit for her. She's ambitious. She's got a great product. Um, definitely should go try it if you're if you get a chance down mm-hmm, at the show. Definitely. And um, you know, she's just one of a ton of stories over over my time here. Mm-hmm. You know that um, you know you just find these little little uh, sparks of inspiration and and you just connect with them and you you know you know that they're special. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we've touched upon it a lot um, already and especially with the last story, but what do you feel like your favorite part of working in the industry is? My favorite part of the industry is um, something I refer to as graduation day. Mm-hmm. And that is when a brand graduates into something that they have always wanted to be when they realize their dream. Um, and yet, you know, it may come at the cost of, I discovered them or I helped build them and now they're in bigger, broader distribution and bigger retailers. But there's a sense of accomplishment to know that I knew them when they started. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, the, the show is about creating family and creating connections and the natural food, the specialty food industry is my family at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And, mm-hmm. and these people are extensions of that family and for them to, to see them grow and to see them, um, you know, when I think of someone like Lotus Foods and Carolyn and Ken, when they first started and it was just rice and they were struggling so hard just to make ends meet and, and become a success. And now, you know, I look at them and they're, they're a legend in this industry and they're a well-respected, recognized brand, and not only in rice, but now in ramen and, mm-hmm. and in other ventures that they pursued. And that, that's graduation day to me. That's mm-hmm. realizing that I had some small part in that journey to make them make them where they help them get where they are today. And I think that yeah. that's what's really cool. Yeah, that's great being like being a part of the change. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, over the course of your career, how has it been a part of um, how has it been being a part of like building the interest in specialty food in general? It's really evolved a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, my career started back in the early 2000s and um, specialty food has really evolved so much since then. 
back in the early 2000s, specialty food was really, you know, salsas and dressings and condiments, mm -hmm. right? And it had high fructose corn syrup in it, and mm -hmm. it, but it was like, you know, international flavors or it was just something unique. And when I think about the advent and the, you know, the introduction of the Robert Rothschilds of the world and the Terrapin Ridges of the world and these big brands in the industry who really started to change the focus of what natural foods was, Stonewall Kitchen, a huge brand in that mm -hmm. space that began to shift our focus away from um, kind of pretty packaging and exotic ideas of flavors, but really getting into the idea of what we might call foodie flavors, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's when we saw this shift towards um, this idea of uh, that food could be a place of discovery. Food could be a, a, a sense of um, luxury now, you know? Um, people don't buy furs because that's not good for animals' <laughs> health. And mm -hmm. people don't buy a lot of jewelry and they don't not necessarily have big cars or yachts, right? Now it's about time with your family, time mm -hmm. with your friends. Mm -hmm. And you express that by coming to the table mm -hmm. and enjoying good food. Mm -hmm. Specialty food is the way into that. Um, into that journey, into that ex experience of, of um, creativity and um, luxury, modern luxury for a lot of people because um, mm -hmm. it's part of their time. And so, you know, now we see this idea of specialty food. What I see downstairs is condiments are being redefined right now downstairs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Transparency in ingredients, simple ingredients, coming back to the source of what makes food special and what mm -hmm. makes food good. That's mm -hmm. what we're really seeing. That's the evolution that I've seen. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is really exciting to see about the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, switching sort of onto the, the buyer side, um, yeah. what are your thoughts of the rise of e-grocery and D2C models when selling the specialty food items? Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing at mm -hmm. all. Um, I think that um, it is okay. The D2C model is going to be really good for some, for some entrepreneurs and some brands. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in the world of retail, you know, buyers will always tell brands, I only have so much space. Mm -hmm. And that space usually has to perform, right? It is a reality of the situation. We can't say yes to everyone. So wherever a, wherever a brand or a maker can do, establish a good D2C model and they can um, show that they have a core group of customers, I think it goes a long way to supporting their next step in their journey to brick and mortar. So I don't look at it as a negative. I look at it as a, as almost like the new farmer's market. It's mm -hmm. a digital farmer's market in a lot of ways, but mm -hmm. it, it's not now local to like, you know, your little, you know, I live in Seattle, so it's not like going to Pike's Place Market right now, right? It's a digital Pike's Place now. Yeah. And they can be discovered, you know, in Kansas City, or they can be discovered in Portland, Maine, right? And and now when they come to buyers, they can come and say, hey, I have clusters of these customers in your communities. And it makes a big difference. So. It, you know, it's a matter of that glass half empty or the glass half full kind of thinking of it. And I look at it as glass half full. I like it. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And um, so do you feel like in the state of um, the business, like in the general state of business today, besides these D2C models, do you feel like there's different ways that um, brands are sort of launching their, their or embarking on their journey into retail? Um, you know, there's always been a lot of ways for um, brands to get into retail. Even before digital, there was mail order. Mm -hmm. Even before, and you know, like I said, there was farmer markets. Mm -hmm. um, there was word of mouth, and mm -hmm. there, you know, some had their own shops. Mm -hmm. And so, there's always been multiple ways to break into markets. Um, you know, a lot of the great sauces and stuff that we see downstairs were birthed in restaurants, mm -hmm. right? And or 
Um, they were an idea that somebody had because, you know, they got a recipe from their mom and they made it and people loved it and they started making it in their kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think someone like Jordan from Q and, and the great story that he has about how he formed Q drinks and, and Q tonic. It's an amazing story, right? So, you know, everybody's journey is going to be a little different and that's okay. I think that's the point of the message here. Mm-hmm. It's okay right now. I think... Yeah. Um, the beauty of what we have in technology, the beauty of what we have now as, uh, you know, the, everything's opening back up and we're, and we're starting to see people get back out into the world again. I think, you know, the sky's the limit for the entrepreneur right now. And again, you know, even in a tight economy and where people are concerned, food is still the last luxury that people mm-hmm. will hold on to at the end of the day. So I think, it, I think it's a good time for specialty foods right now mm-hmm. and, and to be discovered. Yeah. Do do you have any words of advice for specialty food businesses trying to get started like right now? Um, Yes, I would say the two biggest things is know who you are as a brand. Mm -hmm. Stand on your beliefs. Don't let other people talk you out of your beliefs, but listen to them. A lot of people will give you a lot of good advice, but at the end of the day, it's still your company. Mm -hmm. And um, do what's right for your company. The other thing I would say is, um, and this is the biggest thing, um, thing that I see with young companies starting out is just managing their channel strategy and their cash flow and understanding that they need to be, how do I say this? Too many times brands will want to grab for it all early and they'll, and they'll, they'll see the, they'll see the brightness of success and potential buyouts and, you know, and major investors coming in and they won't realize what's about to hit them. Mm-hmm. And, um, Take time to pause. Make sure that you're you're true to your brand. You're true to your channel strategy. It's okay to grow slow and and smart and strong with deep roots in smaller amount of retailers than it is to spread out across the country and collapse in a year because you ran out of cash. And that's unfortunately usually what I see the most out of out of small brands. And that's the thing that breaks my heart because you can I've seen a lot of great brands come and go over the last ten years of coming to this show. Um, and a lot of times those are the two mistakes they make. They don't, they're not true to their brand and they don't manage their cash flow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is sort of touching upon, um, an idea that you have about, uh, self mentor mentorship, having mm-hmm. the brand be the mentor for themselves. Um, can you speak a little bit about, um, how you do that or how you can promote that? Yeah. So in category management, I kind of look at it the same way. So I think the analogy kind of works mm-hmm. the same. So what I tell young category managers uh, when I'm training them is, is that we look at it as a mirror and a lens mm-hmm. when you look at a category. And so I think the same thing is true of the brand. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at yourself and you see the dirt, you see the beauty, you see everything. If you're honest with yourself. And I think that's what I would tell brands in self-mentoring, look at yourself in the mirror. Who are you? Are you living up to that ideal when you started in your kitchen or your bathtub? Whatever the case may be, I don't want to know about the bathtub, but whatever the case may be, are you living up to who you were when you started? Um, and you know what? I, I will say this to young brands. It's okay if you, if you want to go and, and you want to, you know, convert and be discovered and bought by a big CPG company. I'm okay with that too. I think that's, again, that's being honest with yourself about what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the mirror. The lens is now really, truly understand your place in the shel- on the shelf. Self-mentoring is also saying, why am I special? Why would buyers want me, right? Why do I stand out? Standing out can be a good thing and standing out can be a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. So when you, lo- when you know the retailers of who you wanna be and you should go to those retailers and you should look at them and you should say, 
imagine myself on the shelf or even bring your product and put yourself on the shelf and look at it. So that way, when you're ready to present or even when you're on the shelf, continue to self-monitor and self-regulate. Um, you know, we use a term in our, in our company, Kaizen, which is constant improvement, right? And you need to do that because you're con- because you're always needing to constantly improve because there's always people that want your spot mm-hmm. on the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And you wanted that spot on the shelf. That's why you went to the store and said, imagine myself on the shelf out of town in country markets, right? You move somebody else out of the way to get on the shelf, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I think self self uh, mentoring is. And then self mentoring is finally is also this idea of not being afraid to ask a question of somebody that you trust in the industry, mm-hmm. whether that's uh, another brand, w- whether that's a retailer, whether that's a distributor or uh, a broker, um, even an investor, right? Be open to the criticism, be, be open to the suggestions, um, and then be open to the praise. Because mm-hmm. sometimes there's just praise. Like I, there's sometimes I don't have anything bad to say about a brand. I love you. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, I just, I want to sell more of you. That's mm-hmm. sometimes how I just feel. Mm-hmm. So I think those are, those are steps in self uh, mentoring that mm-hmm. I would recommend. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a lot of um, valuable hard and soft skills that's good for both buyers and, and businesses too. Um, to exercise and to and incorporate into their um, pathos. Um, do you feel, what do you feel the most valuable skill that you've developed since uh, starting working in the food industry has been? Flexibility. Mm-hmm. Not, um, you know, the one thing um, I have had to learn in this journey is, is that I don't know anything, mm-hmm. you know, and I need to learn everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I have to constantly learn. I have to constantly adjust, uh, whether that's to the economy, whether that's to the trends. Um, I have to have extreme patience because mm-hmm. sometimes I'm way ahead of the trends, a couple years ahead of the trends. And um, I have to be patient to know when they will come or when they won't come. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the thing that I would say um, I have had to learn the most because um, I've had to learn to be the, kind of the reed and when the wind blows, bend with it and adjust to it rather than being the tree that would break. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've had to learn. Yeah. Um, we're almost out of time, but before we go, uh, we'd like you to participate in our final segment. Take five, five questions for our guest. First, let's pause and take a break. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello again. Welcome back. I'm George Hajar of SFA speaking with Dwight Richmond. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment. Take five. Okay. One, what is, the favorite, what is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? Discovery. Two, what is one thing that the Specialty Food Association has made easier for you as a specialty food buyer? One-stop shop. <laughs> if you weren't working as a buyer, what would you be doing? 
I would collect coins. Interesting. And sell coins. Mm -hmm. um, what's one piece of advice you'd give a new food business? I would say um, now is a good time to be in this industry mm. and to um, know why you're special. And how do you define specialty food? I define specialty food by what is it that it makes it special to the consumer. I don't know the answer to that. I only try to guide them to the, to the discovery of the item and hope that they make it, make it special for their guests and for their family at home. Thank you. A big thanks to Dwight Richmond for joining us today. And you can find out more about this show on specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often and get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast, is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.